Unfucking the Republic is made possible by listeners like you. If you'd like to become a sustaining member of the show, visit buymeacoffee.com slash UNFTR to learn how. Or you can purchase our native roasted coffee in partnership with the Puspatuck Reservation members at unftr.com slash shop. Every dollar goes to support indigenous economic development and this fucking bullshit. Unfucking the Republic is brought to you by Insane Level members Sam C., Kryn G., Cindy S., Corey S., Nathan E., Michelle H., W. Jeremy D., Eric Wagner 101, and Rob Nasby. Apologies again to our international community of unfuckers as we're going to go parochial once again. Though this is, after all, unfucking the Republic, meaning this fucked Republic. Fear not. There are lessons to be learned, and, as always, it's likely fun to eavesdrop on the madness of our electoral politics. Today's quickie focuses on three important races coming up in the United States. Each one paints a different picture of Democratic candidates looking to broaden the ranks of the Progressive Caucus. And like many of you, I'm frustrated with the conventional wisdom surrounding midterm elections. There's a sense of failure that has already taken hold among Democrats of all stripes, Everyone is seemingly resigned to the imminent bloodbath. Not that this sentiment is without good reason or precedent. Midterms are often brutal for the party in power, and there are circumstances that are feeding the beast of discontent among the population. Gas prices are uncomfortably high. We've gone over these reasons and how no one is nailing the right culprit here. Inflation continues to punish the consumer. And on this, there has been some movement on the left to push the correct narrative that corporate greed fueled by rampant consolidation and mergers, have disrupted the normal supply and demand relationship with respect to consumer prices. Now, a, a number of my colleagues and our witnesses today have rightly discussed the impact of corporate consolidation. When four companies control almost 60% of an industry, the normal supply-demand curve doesn't really set the price, does it? Home prices continue to punish the working poor in the nation, and the eviction crisis is taking root as now all state moratoriums on evictions have officially lapsed, following suit with the end of the federal moratorium in August of 2021. The crisis is real. The squeeze is tightening. It doesn't even matter if jobs reports have been off the charts if you can't meet your expenses. Everyone knows our personal economic situations are upside down. All of the temporary relief packages that propped up the personal balance sheets of the average American the child tax payments that literally lifted children out of hunger. The loans that saved payrolls of millions of businesses at the height of the lockdowns. Moratoriums on evictions. Extended health care benefits. Extended unemployment insurance. They're all gone now. And corporate America has been sucking up whatever was left over in your bank account. In your cupboard. In your pockets. The government giveth. And it taketh away. And soon, we'll head off to the polls with empty bellies and bank accounts, looking for someone to blame. In the last 100 years, only two midterm elections saw the sitting president pick up seats in both the House and the Senate. In 1934 and in 2002, both on the heels of arguably the most psychologically traumatic periods in our nation's history, the Great Depression and 9-11. Well, barring some unforeseen national tragedy, we are indeed headed for a bloodbath, no matter how many positive jobs reports the Biden administration puts together. And in the conservative media ecosystem, you can already see how Republicans are testing messaging. Reckless Democratic spending is pushing inflation. Biden is at war with fossil fuel companies, so we're no longer energy independent, and that's why gas is high. Poor people are taking advantage of landlords, looking for handouts, debt cancellation, and free housing. And all woke lefty Democrats want to do is teach your white kids that they're racist and pay for children to transition. If special elections are any indication, it's all working. To make matters worse, most moderate Democratic candidates are piling on and trying to drive the middle lane, if not veer directly into the right lane. To appease the so-called moderate base, 
to blame the far left for giving Republicans the election on a platter by insisting on so-called woke causes. What I will posit today on fuckers is that if we have any hope of furthering progressive causes and candidates in this country, we need to block out the noise and stop obsessing over the midterms. This is where we need to play both the short game and the long game. The short game is to forget about the midterms for the moment and really focus on the primaries. This is where we can have an immediate impact. If we can narrow the slate to several key races where Democrats have a real shot at winning in November, we need to be damn sure that there's a progressive on the ballot and not some mealy-mouthed blue dog Democrat trying to appease the right-wing voters. We don't have to win everything this year. Just hold the line and swap in a few more progressives in the bluest areas possible. This is all part of what I've been promoting all along, which is that we need to infect the body politic with progressivism by taking over the levers of power from within, rather than tilting at third-party windmills. Now, I know I have yet to convince some of the more hardline progressive listeners to this show that believe the Democratic establishment is entirely too corrupt to monkey around with. So let me reiterate my position and why I believe taking over the party is more effective than attempting to establish a new one. First off, the Democratic agenda is extremely broad. In this way, Republicans have it easy. Sign the Grover Norquist No New Taxes Pledge, Pay fealty to the leadership when it comes time to vote on legislation. Protect the wealthy at all costs and lie like a motherfucker about climate change, poverty, and race. And while you're at it, line your pockets with industry money to set yourself up for a lucrative post-public service career and fuck the little guy whenever possible. The modern doctrine of the Republican Party is just that black and white. Thinking people on the left see the world in multiple hues. As such, it will never be 100% in lockstep. But if the only big ideas are coming from the so-called far left and mainstream Democrats are too afraid to embrace them, I can see why a third party is so tempting. I'm sympathetic to the point of being almost in complete agreement with the idea of a valid third party. The problem is time. Our system is constructed around two parties, organization, fundraising, party structure down to the precinct level, balloting, canvassing, and get out the vote. Are we victims of inertia and bureaucracy? Sure. But the planet is warming, the sea is rising, and we're running out of time. In the interest of saving the planet, our species specifically, we're left with no choice but to overthrow the Democratic Party and to use their infrastructure. That's where I land. But of course, even this is easier said than done. And so in that spirit, we're going to talk about three important races that progressives have a legitimate shot of taking in both the primary and then the general. So I chose these three races because they also paint a picture of just how difficult it is to coalesce around a candidate and a platform when you really care. Again, for Republicans, it's easy. Sign the pledge, do what you're told, blame poor people, the darker the better. True leftists face a much darker dilemma because when you're voting for people, you're automatically voting for a flawed candidate. Humans are messy. The races that we're going to talk about today are messy. Politics is messy because politics is the organization of society around certain principles. Society is made up of people and people are messy. So we're going to get dirty together because primary elections are a game of inches and we're gonna have to fight for each and every one of them. On this team, we tear ourselves and everyone else around us to pieces for that inch. We claw with our fingernails for that inch. Because we know when we add up all those inches, that's gonna make the fucking difference between winning and losing. UNFTR is also brought to you by Insane Level members Isoke, Nick G, Cassie LMM and the Worry Clan, Nathan Surst, Nathan Second, Awesome A, Jen S, Ryan F, and Asshole. Battleground, Wisconsin. Oshkosh, Madison, Green Bay, and home to the loyal unfuckers of Outagamey County. The great state of Wisconsin was admitted to the Union in 1848. 
wit, stunning lakes, an abundance of cheese, and proud sporting heritage including the Green Bay Packers, the Bucks, the Brewers, and the Mighty Badgers. Wisconsin is a Midwestern paradise that has long been a bellwether swing state in national politics. Are we partial to Wisconsin politics because of the rabid and honest following of Wisco fuckers from out of gamey? Yes. But it's also a fascinating political state that has swung back and forth over the past century, though in terms of presidential politics, it was reliably blue since going for Dukakis in 88. That all changed in 2016 when the state went for Donald Trump. But this wasn't a surprise given the state was beginning to turn red in the years prior under the gubernatorial leadership of squirrel-faced fucker Scott Walker, a Koch brother invention and union-busting scoundrel who served from 2011 to 2019. Today, the state leadership is blue, with the Dem in the governor's office and a progressive lieutenant governor in the hunt for the nomination to replace Ron Johnson, one of the biggest fucking assholes in the U.S. Senate, and that is saying a lot. Johnson has been veering hard right in the past several years as a Trump sycophant and rabid conspiracy-spreading mongrel. It's the first of the messy progressive battles that we're going to examine with a little help from our loyal friends in Outagamey. What's interesting about Wisco is that the Dems think this is a real battleground race with the possibility of flipping the seat. The establishment candidate on the Democratic side to take on Ron Johnson is an untested but well-heeled businessman named Alex Lazary. Lazary has the confidence of the National Committee and has outraised everyone on the campaign trail, including the Republican incumbent. His financial lead is so commanding that it's worth looking at his profile for a moment, though we're ultimately more interested in the progressive candidates looking to prevail in the primary. But first, here's Lazary from his public survey statement on Ballopedia. Quote, I'm on leave as the senior vice president of the Milwaukee Bucks. I live in Milwaukee with my wife, Lauren, chief of staff for Planned Parenthood of Wisconsin. I'm running for the U.S. Senate so I can bring a new way of thinking to Congress and deliver real results for Wisconsinites. I have proven that progressive values are good for business. During my time with the Bucks, I worked to raise wages, create thousands of good-paying union jobs, and advance the team's social justice efforts. I brought together the public-private partnership to build the Bucks arena, end quote. His three key issues are $15 minimum wage, building infrastructure within the state, and expanding voting rights and access, all middle ground table stakes issues for establishment Dem candidates, and he has clearly demonstrated an ability to raise funds. Now, on the heels of our Hochul episode, tearing New York apart for public financing of pro sports stadiums, I'm obviously not impressed, nor should you be. Everything about Lazary screams middle ground. White, male, straight, businessman. Tied to sports in a state where sports are extremely important to its identity. So Lazary is the clear and benign choice to bring his vanilla political inexperience to the U.S. Senate and replace fuckface Rojo. Right below Lazary on the ballot are two progressives that I want to talk about to illustrate the challenge that we're facing in coalescing as a party. The first is current Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, and the other is former Assembly person and current out of Gamey County Executive Tom Nelson. Barnes is the front-runner progressive candidate, to be clear. He trails Lazary in fundraising, but has raised an impressive $2.5 million and still has a million on hand as of the last filing. His name recognition is pretty solid, and he certainly has the progressive talking points down. Take a listen to this extended clip from Barnes. I'm Mandela Barnes, proudly serving as Lieutenant Governor of the state of Wisconsin. And I'll briefly uh, just talk about my background, being born and raised in the city of Milwaukee. He was born in one of the most challenged communities in this entire country, our state's poorest zip code, one of the nation's most incarcerated. But it is that experience that prompted me to run for office in the first place. It's what prompted me to become an organizer, which was my entry point uh, into political office. I served as an organizer for Milwaukee Inner City Congregations Ally for Hope, an interfaith social justice organization that advocated issues around jobs and economic development, education, immigration reform, and treatment instead of prison. And that's the energy that I took into my campaign for state representative in 2012. I was proudly elected uh, as Lieutenant Governor uh, in 2018, which was an amazing experience for so many reasons, but most importantly, because we got to bring a bold progressive vision to the state of Wisconsin. People always say, can you be bold and progressive in the Midwest and win? I'm here to tell you that's the only way you win uh, because folks have been left behind 
And it's important for us to be able to make the connections between our urban, rural, and suburban communities. Too often, we let the other side define that debate, define that conversation, and divide us up by using this false narrative of an urban rural divide. I'm here to tell you that I've been to all 72 counties in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, that divide is not what they'll make you think it is. Uh, it's important that we all have health care, that every person in this state, every person in this country can go to a doctor and not worry about having a surprise bill. It's about making sure that all of our children have a good, uh, have good schools in every community, every zip code. Quality education has to be our priority economic opportunity and doing the hard work to combat the climate crisis, which is where I spent most of my time uh, as Lieutenant Governor. And we need a more fair immigration system as, um, as, as we see in these most recent days, we see some very uh, disturbing and stressful uh, footage. And that is just is case in point of why we have to do uh, so much better as a party, but we don't advance ourselves as a party. We don't advance the cause of, of progressivism uh, by sitting on the sidelines. We advance the cause by showing up, getting out there, taking our ideas directly to the people. And ultimately, I think that's how we'll win. Like I said, he's got the talking points down and should be a formidable candidate in both the primary and the general, considering he's already demonstrated an ability to win statewide office. Just to double check myself though, I reached out to two of our most dedicated unfuckers for a ground view of the candidates. I want to read a message from our dear friend Knudsen first to set the stage. He says, quote, When Barnes first announced, I made a small campaign donation. I figured if he was good enough for Tony Evers to tap him for lieutenant governor, that's someone I want to be able to compete in the race for Johnson's Senate seat. At that point in time, Johnson had not confirmed that he would run, and I like Barnes's chances against any Wisconsin Republican. Having just set up the sham 2020 election investigation headed by the recently unseated Wisconsin State Supreme Court Justice Gableman, who shattered the illusion of judicial nonpartisanship, the Republican brand was tarnished. Fast forward about a year, and the Republican reputation has improved among the loyalists. Johnson has broken his campaign pledges to only seek two terms and has announced his re-election bid, and the Democratic field has greatly expanded with a list of usual suspects with deep pockets. I'm confident that Barnes can defeat Johnson, and that so could a City of Omro phone book from 1982. Rojo spending a July 4th in Moscow will likely be what tips the independent rally around the flag set, and Dems will turn out to sink Rojo. Barnes will, however, have a difficult time in the Democratic primary. I'm comfortable with his progressive bona fides, but that's still a tougher sell in Wisconsin. If Barnes is able to make it through the primaries, he needs good old-fashioned messaging money. Dude needs cash for ads and social media pushes, end quote. So I'm going to split with Knutson on one aspect of this in a moment, but Overall, I think he paints a really great picture of the immediate problem, especially where money is concerned. Lazary's war chest is formidable, and it'll be a big problem if he leverages it in the balance of primary season. Now, before that, I want to shift over to the great Nettie, who also weighed in with a slightly different perspective. She says, quote, When the lieutenant governor first announced, I was very excited, until I heard that he accepted the endorsement of James Clyburn, congressman from South Carolina. He also endorsed the opponent running against Nina Turner. He also endorsed Joe Biden. You remember that, don't you, Max? I'm no longer sure who will get my vote in August. Much love back at you, Nettie. End quote. What I like about this, and I don't think that she would mind me characterizing her in this way, is that Nettie is a purist. We actually went back and forth a bit more, and she indicated that Barnes had not bothered to return a survey for the progressives in Out of Gaming, which turned them off. And while Barnes certainly says the right thing, she trusts the progressive bona fides of Tom Nelson more because he's known to the folks of Out of Gamey and vetted as a true progressive. But these two responses illustrate what I see as the central problem for progressives in Wisconsin and something that unfuckers in other parts of the country with important upcoming primaries can relate to. Let me first address Knudsen's concerns about the primaries. This is where I disagree slightly with his supposition about money. Yes, Lazary has more money, but primaries are more about energy and good old-fashioned GOTV. Get out the vote. Prior Wisconsin primaries for Senate on either side of the aisle have turned out anywhere between 350 and 550,000 voters per side. And that's not bad. The important part is the margin between the top candidates. And this is where it gets extremely competitive. And the candidate with more energy, not money, will prevail. We're talking thousands to maybe tens of thousands of votes deciding between candidates. If progressives take a page from the Justice Democrat playbook that helped seat the likes of Cori Bush, AOC, Jayapal, Omar, etc., 
and focus a ton of energy in getting our candidates through to the general election, I believe the populist progressive vision is a winning theme. We just need more opportunities to prove the establishment wrong that a milk toast, straight white businessman whose most progressive idea is a $15 minimum wage is not a winning way. We have to take that risk and show the center that the themes you heard in the Barnes video are winning themes and the only way we're going to take back the nation and move it forward. But that brings us to Nettie's comment. Turns out there's an embarrassment of progressive riches in Wisco, with Tom Nelson appealing to hardcore progressives. And for what it's worth, Nelson's no slouch when it comes to fundraising. He's actually only fourth in fundraising as of the last filing, lagging only behind Lazary, Barnes, and another establishment dem named Sarah Godlewski, the current treasurer of the state. So you've got two establishment dems pretty far ahead in terms of fundraising, and two progressives in the hunt, but clearly behind. That's the messy part. If progressives were able to quickly coalesce around one of their two primary candidates, this person would actually stand a pretty good chance of winning if the establishment Dems wind up splitting the moderate vote. But to do that, you'll have to convince either Nettie or Knudsen to give up the ghost on one of them. Battleground. Pennsylvania. I endorsed another person today, Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania. Dr. Oz. Great guy, a good man, He's a good man, Harvard educated, tremendous, tremendous career. And they liked him for a long time. That's like a poll. You know, when you're in television for 18 years, that's like a poll. That means people like you, but he's a he's a great guy. Remember that in Trump land, the only qualification you need for higher office is to be a reality TV star. So that's what's happening in Pennsylvania. Suddenly, Trump likes Ivy League candidates. Several outlets have the open Senate seat in Pennsylvania as being one of the most hotly contested and likely most expensive races this year. The Republican field is the more cluttered one in this instance, with Oz squaring off against several candidates and a newcomer named David McCormick, a hedge fund manager with a shit ton of money. It is an awful slate, which has Democrats licking their chops at the possibility of replacing outgoing Republican Pat Toomey. But the Democrats are also a bit wary because the leading contender there is one of the most unlikely public officials one could ever imagine. Someone like John Featherman would be a step forward and actually I think would have a lot of national appeal if he ever chose to run for president or something like that. Honestly, I, I know that there are some things in his past that he might have to overcome, but th the point is, is that the fact that he's courting unions, the fact that he has made it a, a priority to reach out to rural voters, that's a huge plus, as opposed to someone like Connor Lamb. That's co-host of The Majority Report, Emma Vigland, talking about perhaps the most interesting candidate since Jesse Ventura. Vigland has actually been one of the most consistent voices in support of John Fetterman, the six-foot-eight-inch lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania who has broken nearly every convention in politics and maintains not only a commanding lead in the polls, he's a monster fundraiser. He is so far ahead of the combined field on both sides that it's difficult to imagine anyone catching up in terms of donations no matter what the Republicans decide to throw at the winner of their primary. That said, Fetterman still has to make it through the primary, as Emma noted, and some of the stuff in his past will likely come back to haunt him. We'll get to that in a moment. But for now, let's hear from Fetterman himself about what he stands for. There are a lot of voters in your state, I don't have to tell you, who support Donald Trump. Why should they vote for you to represent them in the Senate? Well, I mean, there's there's some of them that absolutely won't, and, and I, I accept that. I would rather not have someone vote for me and then tell the truth and, and what I believe I know to be true, whether it's about paying a living wage that people can survive on, whether it's that health care is a fundamental human right, whether it's the members of our LGBTQIA communities deserve equal protection under the law, whether we should have compassionate, common-sense immigration reform in this country, whether we should end this insane war on drugs and legalize weed across the United States, whether we should address the climate crisis that we are confronting here in this country. We, you know, there's so many things that, that need to get done. And if, if you don't agree with me on, on any of those, I would hope you can still vote for me, but you'll at least know where I stand proudly, and I have for the past 20 years. So again, in terms of progressive bona fides, this guy's got him. 
And that's why, despite his incumbency, name recognition, lead in the polls, and fundraising abilities, the establishment Dems would prefer he just disappear. As evidenced by this pack ad for Democratic primary opponent Connor Lamb, another fucking middle-of-the-road dickhead. Who can Democrats trust in the race for Senate? Connor Lambs, a former prosecutor and Marine. John Fetterman's a self-described Democratic Socialist. Lambs stood up to Republicans to protect Social Security. Fetterman's been called a Silver Spoon Socialist. Lamb won three tough races against Trump Republicans. Republicans think they'd crush Socialist Fetterman. With all that's at stake, Fetterman's a risk we can't afford. Penn Progress is responsible for the content of this ad. Now, this ad caused enough of a stir among progressives that it was eventually pulled. But it says it all. Another military man who is a prosecutor and thinks health care should be affordable but not universal. Lamb is a member of Congress and a member of the Problem Solvers Caucus, which we'll touch on toward the end of the episode. The bottom line is he's a Republican in Democratic clothing and the establishment's answer to an unusual candidate who checks nearly every progressive box and should be the one they're all rallying behind. So everything seems pretty straightforward, and this one feels pretty good. I firmly believe that progressive issues will stand up against Republican messaging in any general election, even one that looks to be as difficult as a first presidential term midterm. But there is one thing that also makes this messy to demonstrate that there's rarely a case where a candidate is perfect. Yeah, new at six tonight, the mayor of Braddock admits to pulling a shotgun after chasing a man he suspected of firing a gun near his home. And it turns out that man was just an innocent jogger. So this happened when Fetterman was mayor of a town called Braddock. It happened several years ago, and frankly, it's not great. And put through a more current lens, it's even worse because the jogger that he detained was a black man. It's hard to imagine had this happened today that Fetterman would be running for anything other than his life. But that's how much things have changed, and, I think many would argue, for the better. It's a little more complicated, however, as more than two-thirds of Braddock's residents are black. So it was a much better-than-even chance that the person Fetterman saw outside his home after hearing gunshots was black. It's a far more nuanced story than many of the horrific stories that we've become accustomed to in the news the past few years. But there's no question that it'll be a problem for him and a central theme in any Republican opposition to his candidacy. That's what makes this a bit messy. Though to be clear, Betterman's resume, talking points, history of service, and family story outside of this moment might be the most progressive of any candidate or public official, period. My sense is that Betterman will indeed fly through the primaries and become one of the most covered candidates as we near the general, especially if he winds up running against a reality TV star in the all-important bellwether swing state of Pennsylvania. Battleground, Northern Mexico. Mm, I mean, Texas. So we spent some time examining a tough choice in Wisconsin, trying to choose between two good-looking progressive candidates, and we took a look at an unusual candidate who made a bad decision years back in an otherwise remarkable public service career. So like I said, messy. So I wanted to end on a positive note and go a bit smaller. For this, we head down to Texas to the 28th Congressional District, where there's a runoff between establishment Democratic candidate Henry Cuellar and a progressive candidate Jessica Cisneros. Cuellar is an extremely problematic Democrat who appears on Fox News, voted against legalizing abortion and legalizing weed, and has held strange anti-immigrant positions. He's also taken money from the Koch brothers and is a member of the Blue Dogs. In short, fuck this fucking guy. His opponent is Jessica Cisneros, who ran and lost against him the last time, though hopefully the stars are aligned to take him out this time around. 28-year-old progressive Jessica Cisneros is bringing all the smoke for the second time to challenge sitting Congressman Henry Cuellar for the state's 28th congressional district. Cisneros has a good deal of money on hand, though she lags slightly behind the incumbent who has the full support of Nancy Pelosi and the Democratic caucus. Despite all of his troubling stances, including a recent raid by the FBI, by the way, Pelosi could only manage a, I support my incumbents, when asked why she wouldn't consider the young progressive instead. So think about all the fucking shit that this guy has done, and that's all she could say. 
Oh, I ins- I support my incumbents. Blah. Fucking just enough already, Nancy. Anyway, Cisneros also has the support of several high-profile progressives, such as hmm, Bernie Sanders, and the whole team that backed several successful squad elections in recent years. So here's the deal. I'm not going any further into this specific election. The big Senate races we spoke about deserve some attention, and in the case of Fetterman, our support. So if you can see your way clear to help out those causes, that would be great. But on this last one of the quickie, I actually have a suggestion, if not more of a favor. We're a small but mighty show. Unfuckers have demonstrated a willingness to get together in groups on Facebook and Reddit. You've shown a commitment to the show both in your time and with your wallets. I propose that we try to throw a bit of weight where it might do even the smallest amount of good. And that's to support the candidacy of a young progressive Latina looking to unseat a real fucking jerk-off in a state that, God willing, will someday be blue. Let's send this young woman to Congress so she can join the squad. In show notes and on Substack, we're going to include links to her Facebook and to her website to help spread the word of her candidacy on social media. And if you're in a position to offer a small dollar donation to donate to her efforts. Remember, it's a game of inches. So even if you feel like the big races are being decided elsewhere and you can't have an impact, together we can focus our efforts to make a small, important change to occupy the Democratic Party and push forward with progressive ideals. Some broad ideas to finish out our time together. The first is not to be afraid of populism. There's good populism and there's bad populism, but they tend to be lumped together. Andrew Jackson was a populist, bad. Trump is a populist, really fucking bad. But so is Bernie. So was Teddy Roosevelt when he ran as a bull moose. Sometimes the popular ideas are the best ones and the only thing standing in the way of them is convention or fear. The conventional wisdom that progressive ideas can't win elections, it's simply not fucking true. But we have to work together with a single-minded focus to break through the noise. There's another thing that I have difficulty phrasing in the right way, but I want to somehow find the words for it. Maybe you can help. I hate how conservatives own the flag and country music and guns and all other faux machismo signals that promote toxic masculinity and badassery. Conservative iconography makes me throw up in my mouth, but it's effective because it makes you feel part of something. Badassery is something that we need to take back. The strength of the working class and unions, the strength of diversity and struggle, the idea that caring for others isn't weak. It's actually the strongest thing that you can do. If we continue to allow conservatives to define us, our flag might as well have a picture of a fucking latte on it and a slogan that says, I'm butthurt. That's part of the appeal of Fetterman standing at six foot eight. It's why the squad strikes so much fear into conservatives. They're smart, they're brown, and they're fucking fearless. Another thing, if you're in a blue district anywhere, and I mean blue, not purple, and there's a progressive primary candidate running against anyone that is a member of the Blue Dog Coalition, New Democrat Coalition, or Problem Solvers Caucus, get involved and unseat that motherfucker. Hint, that might be the subject of our next quickie. And lastly, while these are all interesting races, all eyes will undoubtedly be on Georgia. That one's in God's hands, and by God I mean Stacey Abrams. As Daniel Strauss of the New Republic writes, quote, Democrats should remember that if Georgia does buck the trends of this cycle and has overwhelming turnout for Democrats, it will be because of their gubernatorial candidate. Abrams, for years, has maintained that Georgia could be a blue state or at least a more competitive state by registering and activating ignored and unrecognized voters. She knew then that her prospects for statewide office depended on that argument, and now the fortunes of her and Warnock also depend on how well Democrats have worked to activate their voters, end quote. Activation is the key. Getting involved at the primary level is the best way to move forward in a year that portends pretty bad things for Democrats. The inches we need are all around us. So don't give up. Populism 
can sometimes be a good thing. Support Jessica Cisneros for Congress. Here endeth the quickie. the end of the episode where we used to do show notes now we just talk through a few things reflect on what was said or what we should have done instead oh post show musings hey 99 hi max had you seen anything on this guy fetterman before today is he on your radar no just wayne fetterman who's that he's a comedian but he's in an episode of X-Files. Wow. Um, okay. As himself. That's why. Oh. Yeah. Is he still around? Yeah, I think so. I feel like we're losing so many comedians. R.I.P. Gilbert Gottfried. I know. It's like really bizarre. Like kind of shocking in a weird way. Although, I mean, when you look at him, you're like, she's surprised you made it this far. He's and I'm surprised 67. you're only in your 60s. Yeah. So... Had a hard time wrapping my head around Fetterman because it really is one of the races that we're going to probably take. Anything can happen between now and then, obviously. But, I mean, he's got the money. He's so different and so interesting. And he's so out there with his progressivism. I mean, he's so out there with his progressivism that he will be impossible to ignore. But he has this fucking weird thing from his past. And I just, I kind of wanted to talk through it with you. What do you want to talk through? So, Fetterman lives in a predominantly black neighborhood as Mayor Braddock. Moves there on purpose because he wants to live among the people he represents. Hasn't left, still there, even as lieutenant governor. Has done extraordinary things for that town, like never left it behind, like really worked on anti-poverty measures. His wife happened to be an undocumented immigrant. So he worked really hard for causes related to immigration to borrow what Knudsen was saying, in terms of progressive bona fides, probably in this instance, checks more boxes than AOC, legitimately. And yet he has this moment in his past that, so he run, he's, he's, hears gunshots, playing with his kids in the house, takes a shotgun, runs outside, sees only one person, apprehends that person, because he's got a fucking shotgun, and then calls the police. If ever, and, and this, so I don't, Hmm. This is a tough way to phrase this, but if ever there was a person who at that moment was not thinking color, but was thinking my children are here and and didn't, you know, even understand the the greater circumstances that we now know in this day and age, I'm going to guess it's this guy. But if you drop that situation, even with all of the same things that we know about him into 2020, I just think he's he's not here. He's thrown out of office. And it's a really curious thing to me to be thinking about this and to be so supportive of his candidacy, which I am. But I feel icky just putting it out there. It's one of those things where I have my opinion, but I'm a white person. And I don't know if that matters here in that way, where... If we take the person at face value, at least from what we know of him, we don't know him in his personal no, life. Not. Sure, it seems like it was an isolated incident of protection. But if I'm, you know, a black person and this is something that happens to my family members, my friends, people on the news I see every day, I don't know if I'm going to see it that way. Yeah. So on the level of people we forgive generally in society, it's Fairly innocuous compared to things that have happened that we've forgiven people. Cops who murdered people and we're just like, yeah, you're let off. Or given your job back. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, nothing happened here. Thankfully, he owned up to it. I guess, you know, it also for me highlights the how real the struggle is. The, the struggle of empathy and authenticity on the progressive side. That this conversation would be a thing, that this would be a topic of conversation. So you think about the right 
lining up to parade somebody like Kyle Rittenhouse around the conservative media channel, stand with him at events, use him as as a prop. Give during... him an internship or whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, legitimately favoring somebody who, you know, hunted humans mm-hmm. at, at a rally that was clearly there to, you know, promote anti-racism, right? Yeah. And he wasn't just there. He came there on purpose. Right. Cross state regardless lines, Regardless of whole what thing. he fucking says. So... You've got that end of the spectrum. Oh, and if, Kyle, if you want to sue us, go right ahead, you motherfucker. I could fucking take you. (laughs) And I will. So you've got that. And then on the other side, you've got this real icky dilemma that we wrestle with. So I just wanted to put it out there that that is is the plight of the empath. That is the plight of the party of, of empathic people. This is what we have to stand up to. And we have to talk through it. And that's okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that phrase that, you know, you can't let perfect be the enemy of good. The phrase you constantly say to me all the time. Yeah. (laughs) We do have to move. We have to move in a direction. It's like the visceral far left that comes after AOC on every little thing that she does in their perception that is wrong. And they just want to throw her out of office because, oh, she's fucking fake. We have to move in a direction. This is politics. It's a big country. And Pennsylvania, by the way, is more Southern in tone and nature in so much and Midwestern in certain parts. I mean, Pennsylvania is a big fucking state that has a very broad, very working class constituency. It's more hard scrabble than it is East Coast elite. So you do have to be a kind of a different sort of candidate. I can I get that a six foot eight fucking monster who wears shorts to meet the president, by the way. He did that when fucking Biden came to Pennsylvania. He was in shorts and a fucking hoodie. He's like, what's up? I mean, the guy is out of his mind. <laughs> but he is progressive and he is like a gentle, loving giant. Except for that fucking time he brandished a shotgun outside of his house. What the fuck? Messy 99. Very messy. Yeah, I'm curious if we have any listeners in the state that lived there during it. What do you think? Yeah. How do you feel? Yeah. I don't know. People aren't perfect. And on the other side in Wisconsin, you've got a hardliner like Nettie, who we love, who's like, yeah, no, I get it. Mandela Barnes seemed great. He's just not great enough. He's just not. And I've I've got somebody else. If they both stay in the race, they're probably going to lose. I mean, just based on money, right? Mm -hmm. So just based on money and splitting votes. If the conservative side of the Democratic Party gets their shit together and it winds up with one person and progressives wind up with two near the top, it's just math at that point, right? Yeah. These are tough, tough things because you don't want to discount Nelson's candidacy. You don't want to just assume that because Barnes outranks him as lieutenant governor was kind of like kind of the golden child for longer Mm -hmm. that he deserves it as well. If maybe Nelson is more progressive and a better candidate. SE 99. My brain wants to just say, like, fuck it, all politicians are bad. But my heart is like, well, why do they have to be? Can't we have good ones? I just want more in the caucus. Right? We're over. We're at 96. I don't want to lose any ground. I get to 99. Got to get to at least 99. That would be amazing progress here. Lucky number. Right? Or how about 101 in honor of your sister? No, I'm first. Well, you know, if we get to 101, we would have had to go through 99. I know, first. but I want to at least like a stop there. Like for a couple minutes. Is that fair? During like a recount? Sure. Okay, fair. So I hope we get to 99 and then land on 101, right? Okay. At a minimum. Yeah. There's a lot here. So on fuckers, I landed on Cisneros after kind of reviewing. Uh, first of all, she's one of the primary candidates for, no pun intended, were the Justice Democrats. And that was the group that was responsible, well, partly responsible for putting a lot of the squad members on the map when they kind of took over and rocketed onto the scene. Now, many of the Justice Democrat founders have kind of moved on and left it behind, but it's still it's still a movement. It's still kind of a, a coalition of progressive members and they try to raise funds. But Cisneros is cool. She's, she's a little special to me because we're talking about Texas. We're talking about a Mexican-American who comes from migrant roots, whose like campaign video, she's on a fucking horse and, you know, 
dad's like, you know, got his pickup truck there and they're just, they're living that Texas life. And she came really, really fucking close the last time they ran. There's a chance she could take this, this race. And this guy, he's no good, man. He is fucking no good. He is the prime example of the worst of that middle of the road, conservative Democrat, blue dog, fucking problem solving bullshit candidate. Or sitting congressman, for that matter. And the idea that someone like Nancy Pelosi would pull a Mitch McConnell and say, well, they already have the office, I have to defend that. No, you don't. No, you fucking don't. As a matter of fact, almost every fucking stance that that guy has should be as offensive to Nancy Pelosi as it is to Elon Omar. Because he's that fucking conservative. Nancy... So, first of all, you step down. You fucking go away. Go the fuck away. It's over. Clear the way. Clear the path for these young, brilliant women to rise through the ranks and take this fucking party over. And it starts with us getting behind somebody like Cisneros. Let's add to the squad. You want AOC to be more effective. You're pissed at her for not getting more done. Give her more support. Add to the squad. Give some money to Jessica Cisneros. Get on Facebook. Promote her to all your friends. Got family in Texas? Call them up. Ask them to vote if they're in that district. Got family in Texas that aren't in that district? Maybe they know somebody that's in that district. Or tell your family to move. Or just, yeah, move there. Temporarily. Rent a house. Rent an apartment for like 10 seconds. Vote. I don't know. Anything. But we got to add to the squad. Wait, you could always vote twice. Oh, my God. Yeah. What am I even thinking? Yeah. Okay, so if you live in her, what is it, the 28th? Sure. In Texas. Mm Mm-hmm. Do it twice. Three times. What's stopping you? The other side says it's okay, so why don't we do it? You know what? I think you're on to something. Thank you. If every person goes to the primary, who's a Democrat, goes to the primary. And votes three times. And votes three times. Yeah. She'll win by a landslide. Get a a mail-in. Yeah. Get an in-person. Yeah. And And a dead body. Perfect. Kill your spouse or your friend. Assume their identity. Yeah. Drop their body across the border. Whatever you have to do. This is important. We're trying to make progress here. You gotta gotta break a few eggs to make an omelet. Ninety nine advocating murder and voter fraud, all in one fell swoop. I mean, if you're gonna do one, you might as well do both. Way to get your ducks in a row. One in Rome. Way to get your poop in a group. Mm Hmm. Yep. (laughs) That's all I got for right now. That's that's my. Those are my post-show musings. Okay. What's on your mind? Um, we had a shitload of coffee go out recently. Yeah, we had a bunch of people buy coffee, uh, so they weren't canceled because I threatened <laughs> them. Sorry that I'm a bully, but not sorry. Oh, I meant to talk about this on show notes. What's that? Hello, Insane Level members. Oh, Knock, yeah. knock. Yeah. Hello, knock, knock. Who's there? Beer. <laughs> Beer who? That's it. That was the end of the joke. There's no setup or no punchline. No. It was just a a method of segue. Okay. So, insane level members, hopefully you got your McFleshman stout. So, non-insane members, guess what? We have a few unclaimed bottles. Couple, two, three. So, become an insane member. Yep. And you can get some beer too. And it's not going to go bad because it's a stout and you can age it, so... They're just sitting here aging, all sad, like like all of the things in the castle in Beauty and the Beast. Aww. Mm-hmm. I love that Ten movie. years we've been rusting, right? eating so much more than dusting, eating exercise, a chance to use our skills. It's from Be Our Guest. Be our guest. Be our guest. <laughs> Put our service to the test. There you go. Thank you. Um, they're making it an enchanted too. Did you see that? I think so. That was very much in the in that moment in that wheelhouse. Okay. When, when my kids were really little. God, I loved that movie. I watched it pretty recently, if I'm being honest. Really? Yes. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I've seen. I mean, I've seen it before, but I watched it. Me and my roommate put on Enchanted. Makes me cry. I like wish part. Really, kind of all of it even just the thought of it just because it it just it was one of those like 
had a magic like experience watching that movie with uh, with my How big one. Does she my know that you love her? Oh, it was just, we were obsessed. We listened to the soundtrack over and over. It was just it was so magical. I miss those days. Anywho, so your homework on fuckers is to promote Jessica Cisneros, maybe even donate to her campaign, restock your coffee through our store, become an insane level member if you're so inclined, and get some beer mailed right to you. It's amazing. And uh, tell your friends about unfucking the Republic. Let's get big. Let's get, let's get some heft behind this show. We're ready now. 99, do you feel ready? Bitch, I was born ready. That's what I'm talking about. As always, Unfucking the Republic is edited and arranged by Sound Design Master. Manny Faces Media. Can we do Maestro? Feels more appropriate. Mice, by Sound Design Maestro? Yeah. Yeah. As always, Unfucking the Republic is edited and arranged by Sound Design Maestro Manny Faces Media. We came so close last time. 2,700 votes made the difference. But I'm confident that we can do it if everybody comes together. And we're going to be able to set the tone that this is our year as progressives to make sure that we're electing representation that is going to be having the best interests of our constituents in mind in Congress. All right. I uh, just want to let the audience uh, know about the website one more time, jessicasisneros.com. The show is lovingly produced by the great and powerful 99. And our theme music was composed by Tom McGovern. Visit TomMcGovern.com this week, 99. I'm getting new clips from Tom. Yay. I'm excited. Max doesn't let me participate in that. He gatekeeps me. He I said, do. you're a dumb woman. <laughs> he said, you can't write music. Wow. Don't deny it. The show is hosted by misogyny and distributed by sexism. Hmm? Send us your comments, your questions, your suggestions to unftrpod at gmail.com. Connect with us on social at unftrpod. Become a member at buymeacoffee.com slash unftr. Visit our book list at bookshop.org slash shop slash unftrpod. Get some native roasted coffee at unftr.com slash shop and read our essays on Substack by going to unftr.substack.com. Remember, it's always free. And for some reason, we had a lot of people come over to Substack in the last few weeks. And I'm very grateful. For that, I think a lot of it was the Hokel episode. Hokel. So anyway, welcome over. Glad you're there. Hope you're going through the archives, and I hope you're on your way to really, truly becoming an unfucker. Ninety nine. As always, it's a great pleasure to be with you. I can't wait until the next time we get to do this all over again. Okay. <laughs> okay, weirdo. Bye. Bye for now. Course one by one till you shout out my nuts. I'm sing you off to sleep as you digest. Tonight you'll prop your feet up, but for now let's eat up the